right. So for this week, we want to talk about kind of a common question that we get, frankly, from all our clients, not just one gender or another, but are our dads or fathers or are men treated equally in child custody cases as women are? And it's a question that, you know, I get all the time. I know, Brian, you get all the time. And I get it from both men and women, dads and moms, uh, because it's, I think it's a fair discussion topic on kind of both sides of a case. So I think we thought we'd address that this week and sort of talk through it. It's obviously a, you know, a lot sort of fact dependent and in jurisdiction dependent, but, you know, there are some broad things that we can talk about that we talk about with our clients. And I guess just to be get into it, sort of thinking about this topic this morning, you know, we represent I wouldn't say our practice has a tilt one way or the other. We, we certainly represent moms. We represent dads. We've been on both sides of um, custody cases. Obviously, we represent same-sex couples um, that are going through child custody disputes or divorces. But when you have you know, a mom on one side and dad on the other side, I do think it's a fair discussion, regardless of who you represent, of whether or not they're going to be treated equally regardless of gender. So Brian, can you start off by talking to us about what the, let's talk about what the law is first, and then let's talk about the practicalities of it. So what's the law on how gender is treated, sex is treated in uh, child custody cases in Texas? Yeah, it's, it's real clear that there's to be no, no preference given, um, both because there is no part of it where preference is given. And in fact, there's a specific statement that no preference is to be given. So the law's officially blind to, to that issue. I mean, it has been for, for quite a while. Yeah, uh, it's, it's mentioned both in the conservatorship section of, of the Texas Family Code in Chapter 153 and in the child support section uh, in Chapter 155 saying there's no discrimination. I think that the actual verbiage is based on gender or marital status on determining conservatorship, which if you remember from our other content really is when we're talking about custody and rights and making decisions for a kid, conservatorship, possession, access, and child support. It's important, I think, to re- remind clients too, is if there's going to be a jury trial, the jury's actually going to be instructed on that law. The, ju- the judges know the law. I mean, they know that uh, I think it's fair to say that every single judge in the state of Texas knows that the family code directs him or her to be gender neutral and making a determination. So that's what the law is. Juries, I think they probably have a, a general idea that's what the law is, but they're actually instructed when they get a jury charge to say that there is no discrimination based on on gender or, or marital status in the state of Texas. Let's talk about it practically, though. Brian, do you have different takes on jurisdiction to jurisdiction, or do you think we're at the point where it doesn't matter that there's not a you know quote unquote advantage for a mom or dad when it comes to conservatorship and possession access? Do you think we're totally neutral like the family code tells us to be, or do you have a different experience on the practical level? On a practical level, uh, a couple of observations. One is that it's changed and gotten much more equal over the years. I, I'm old enough to you know have been practicing for a couple of decades, and, and I recall when especially in certain jurisdictions, typically more rural or less populated ones, um, you would see a definite preference for the, for the moms in custody in, in some of the courts. Not all of them, but some of them. I, I think that's largely not the case anymore. I think it's largely very even-handed, and that's particularly true in the larger urban counties. As a broad 
as a broad statement. But on the other hand, you look at the, the statistics and the overwhelming number of people paying child support are dads and the overwhelming number of parents with the, you know, that, that have, you know, what we call primary custody or custody or, or tend to be moms. Now, you know, there, there's obviously some situations where you got two dads or two moms or something, but when you have, you know, one of each, uh, that's the overwhelming outcomes, which, you know, raises a question of why. And that's, that's an interesting question. But generally, I think if you take a case to trial in most of the places where you're going to have a hearing or trial, you're going to get a fair treatment based on whether you're a man or a woman. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. I mean, it's in the same analysis, you know, definitely in the, the urban uh, areas, I, I don't see, you know, our judges treating a lot of times, you know, I think it's generally the case that there's, if you go to trial, then there's a, everybody's given a fair shake. And it's like you said, the more rural counties, particularly, you know, longer ago, but, but still now some, but the more rural counties, there's kind of the default. Uh, I mean, I was, it wasn't but three years ago in, in a more rural county near Austin, but not Travis County and, and not, so not contiguous to Travis County, more rural than that. But in a judge's chambers back in his office, and we had a dad, and we had a really, I mean, we had a legitimate child custody case over, over a two-year-old. The mom had some mental health issues, and the dad was a super good dad, worked from home. But anyways, back in chambers and sort of explained to the judge the case without knowing any of it, the judge sort of looked at me and said, well, how, you know, how are you going to convince me to take this baby away from mama? That was the exact quote. You know, neither parent at that time had the right to determine the primary residence. And even then, he sort of framed it as you're going to be taking this baby away from mama. And that's, you know, you see that some still. You know, Franklin, we can, we can sort of talk about this next. Frankly, in that case, we made a jury demand. Because if you remember from our other podcasts and content on our website, a jury can actually make the, the right to determine the uh, right to determine the primary residence is actually a jury question. And, you know, frankly, if you've got a judge that's sitting there going, you can't take baby away from mama or a child away from mama or whatever, that's that's just the default, then, uh, then you know, you think about making a jury demand for that particular judge. But that I, I, I think that's the exception. You said, Brian, like overall, uh, our judges do do a good fair shake. I think it's important uh, for practitioners as us to remember, you know, if you actually go to the courtroom, I think you have the experience that you and I have, Brian, that the judges will actually give a fair shake to both sides. I, I think it's important as practitioners sort of two things on that. I think, one, people that don't go to court, I think a lot of times – will we'll be sort of scared off on either side. You're between mom or dad, but sort of scared off because, you know, they think that the judge isn't going to give them a fair shake because they don't practice in front of that judge a lot or they get intimidated by court and they end up sort of pushing for settlement just because the trial's an unknown for that lawyer because he or she doesn't go to court that much or doesn't go to court in that jurisdiction or in front of that particular judge or doesn't know that judge. And then they're pushing clients to settlements just because, they, they really can't analyze what's going to happen at court. So it's important to, you know, be able to take that custody case to court, you know, that other practitioners may say, uh, be intimidated by it or think that it's a long shot or, you know, have all these stereotypes in, in their minds that, that just frankly aren't true anymore. I think once you get to court too, it's important to, you know, if you represent the mom side of things, which we do quite often, I think it's important to not overplay things and assume that you're walking in there with an advantage because you're representing mom. Because I do think that is a good way to kind of frankly put it, a good way to kick off a judge if you walk in there with just this attitude of, 
well, I've got the bomb, so I win. And, and you don't take seriously the custody case because you've got bomb. Again, that you see practitioners do that. They don't practice a lot in court, that they don't are in front of a particular judge. And that's, you know, that's gets you, I think, a considerable disadvantage if you're walking in there either unprepared or overly cocky because you've got the mom side of things. So I give the, the speech, just like I give the speech to my dad clients and look, you're going to get, you're either one going to get a fair shake or two, we're going to make sure to explain to the judge the situation. So we make sure that you get a fair shake. And, but when I've got mom clients, I'm saying they're going, you don't go in there unprepared. Don't go in there pres- uh, presuming that you're just going to win just because your mom, I mean, the last thing you want me to do as a practitioner is not take your case seriously and think it's, you know, I've got it in the bag because you don't, I mean, the judge is going to be looking at the best interest of the child, regardless of gender. Let's talk about jury cases though, Brian. Do you, have you ever taken custody cases for a dad to, to trial or I guess for a mom to trial too? And how do you deal gender issues in front of a jury? Yes. And, and I think you're, you're right. You need to be a little bit more careful with the, with the jury. And you're going to initially, when you're picking the jury, what we call Vordire, is you're going to try to make sure that the pool that, that gets placed in there is full of people who are, you know, either neutral or, you know, if you've, if you've got a mom and you've got, you might, and there's some people in the jury that, that you think are going to lean toward a mom just because she's a mom, you're going to probably want those on the jury or, or not if you're representing the dad. So, you start by trying to get your jury pool as favorable as possible to you. I think most people accept the concept that there shouldn't be a preference, but I do think there are people who have, you know, some, I'm not going to say hidden views, but maybe some preferences or some thoughts, sort of like that judge about, you know, maybe if it's a really young girl that's the child, and maybe they're going to think that's maybe a better match to be with mom than with dad, where if it was a, you know, a 13 year old boy, they wouldn't think that That's, those are the kind of more subtle things you want to explore in Fort Dire. And then, like you said, in the jury charge, it needs to say very clearly, you're not to give preference to either one. And I, I think most jurors are going to try to do, do their duty and, and follow the law and, and actually apply that to it. And then if you do think this is an issue, then you need to make that argument and, and give those facts in uh, as evidence in, in the jury trial to you know, shoot down anything that's harmful to you. So there's a couple of different ways to go at it that's much more complex than just trying it to a judge. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And Paul Dyer is extremely important and it's sort of fascinating to me on both sides, you know, because we've done, you know, custody cases. I would say probably our firm tries more jury trials than they're the top one or two as far as the number of jury trials that we try, both for moms and for dads. And it's you know, kind of fascinating to watch. I don't know if unprepared is the right word, but just kind of not finding those subtleties that you were talking about in their voir dire. They just get there and, I mean, I had somebody once, um, they, they represented the dad, I had the mom, and the dad was asking for custody and modification. The dad's lawyer just sort of stood up and, anybody here have a bias against men having custody? Well, nobody's going to raise their hand to that. I mean, if you ask it like that, nobody's going to sit there and go, oh yeah, I do you got to be, I think, more subtle in your, your questioning. And, and we have a sort of specific line of question that we ask when we represent the dad and a specific line of question that we ask if we represent them. Because if you ask it right, if the, you know, people will be honest if you sort of drill down, particularly if you've got the dad, to really sort of drill down. Don't, don't put them on the spot and make the potential juror feel 
like he or she's doing anything wrong, but just sort of say, look, you know, we all have our different upbringings. And, you know, I, I always give myself as an example. I mean, I was raised by a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked, you know, 60, 70 hours a week running his own business as a veterinarian. And my mom stayed at home and raised seven kids because seven kids was certainly enough to, to keep her as busy, probably busier than my dad. Yeah, you know, I just tell people like, look, you know, it would be reasonable to think that me coming into it as a potential juror could have a bias and think that that mom should raise kids. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong if y'all think that, but who here kind of has that upbringing feels that way. And you, know, you have to be able to sort of make them feel comfortable to share and then be really clear with the judge when you need a strike for cause. On the flip side, when you've got the mom, you have to be able to, you know, if there's good jurors out there for you that may have said or indicated some bias, but you want to keep them on the, on the panel, you have to be able to make sure you sort of gently bring them back on the reservation through what, what we call rehab questions and telling them that, you know, look, regardless of background and upbringing, the judge is going to instruct you to be neutral. And, you know, certainly you can follow judge so-and-so's instructions and do that. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a subtle art and it's, it's, rare to see lawyers that can actually do it. There's some really good lawyers that can do it. I mean, we've had cases with and against some really good lawyers that know how to do it, but I've also seen it done really, really poorly. And, and it makes a difference. It, it's really make, it makes a, uh, a big difference how you handle that Vaudire in a custody case. Well, I think that's kind of obviously case specific, you know, fact specific, seeing how this is going to affect, kind of affect the case and your particular judge. But I think that's about a broad of an overview that we can. Obviously, we could talk about this for hours, and sometimes we do in initial consults or are over as a case progresses. But did you have anything to add to, to that topic, Brian? I agree. I was. I have <laughs> could go on about another hour than on. The, I mean, I think the child support issue is one we ought to explore in another podcast. And and just what does custody mean is a really I think interesting discussion as well. So. Let's, uh, let's plan on covering those in future episodes, and, and we'll go from there. Sounds good. All right. We'll talk to you next time. All right.